We have two readings this morning. The first is taken from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22, and this can be found on page 22 of the Church Bibles. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The second reading is taken from John chapter 1, and this is found on page 887 of the Church Bibles. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael com coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Joe, thank you very much for reading uh, so well for us. Um, please do turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. It's page 23 or 22, 23 of um, the church Bibles. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time there. We'll come back to John 1 um, a bit later on um, as we go through. Um, we're back in Genesis after a week off, although we had it in the evening service last week. Um, and it's an amazing, again, another amazing story that we've got for us today. Uh, let me pray as we come to God's words. Lord God, our Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for giving it to us, uh, for revealing yourself through your word. 
and for speaking to us today as we've heard your word read. And we ask now, Lord, as we think about it some more and as I preach, um, Lord, that you would be speaking to our hearts, that you would change us by your spirit um, to trust you, uh, to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness. Lord, that you would bring us um, forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jacob is alone and in the dark. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. It's a slightly pathetic picture. Jacob is in real trouble. He and his mother have lied to his father Isaac. They've cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance, and Esau has vowed to kill him. Jacob's now a refugee. He's fleeing his brother's wrath to the land of his uncle Laban. He's left behind his parents, his home, and significantly, he's leaving the land of God's promise, the land of God's promised blessing. He's an exile. And we find him alone and in the dark. Now we know as the readers that despite his scheming, despite the fact that he's a lying so-and-so, we know that the blessing of God that went from Abraham to his son Isaac has now been passed down to Jacob. We know that God has chosen him as the one who will inherit the promises. Not because he deserves it, not in the least, but solely because of God's sovereign mercy. We know it's God's plan to bless him and through him to bless the world. But at this point, it seems like it's all gone wrong. Verse 10 tells us that he's leaving the land. That's a big deal. That's something that God had told his father and his grandfather never to do. We get the indication that he's in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness. And the author, you'll notice, calls it just a certain place. And he's hugely out of his depth. We're told that all he has to sleep on is the cold floor with a rock for the pillow. That doesn't sound very comfortable. And we're reminded there that Jacob is not suited to this. He can't even make himself a shelter. He's not a Bear Grylls type like Esau, this hunter who lived out in the wild. No, he's a mummy's boy. A home bird, a tent-dwelling softy. Jacob has put himself in a position of great vulnerability, physically and spiritually, by leaving the land, and it's a position of his own making. Jacob is alone and in the dark. But then he has this amazing supernatural encounter with the God of grace. This is verse 12 to 15. Now what we see here, what happens here, that may remind us of an event that happened way back in chapter 15. And you might remember that Jacob's granddad, Abraham, he went to bed on a night like this and he had this astonishing encounter with God. The God who made the stars came down in the night and revealed himself to Abraham through this vision And it was a vision of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Do you remember that? It was like a searing, crackling streak of lightning that held its shape. 
and passed between the broken pieces of the animals that had been cut apart. There, God made with Abraham his covenant, an unconditional covenant of grace with Abraham and his offspring. It was an astonishing moment, an amazing encounter with the living God. But that was Abraham. That was two generations ago. It was over a century ago. Jacob has never experienced anything like that. And judging by his surprise in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it, well, it seems that he hasn't given much thought to the Lord at all. Well, that's all about to change. God is about to step into his life and show his awesome glory and grace to this sleeping sinner. So let's read verse 12. And Jacob dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. Now, it's not that Jacob has had too much camembert and cabris before he nodded off. And this is a dream, but it's a dream that comes from God. It's very real. God is speaking to him through it. And not all dreams are like that, but this one is. Now, what's it about? Well, some of, um, some of the oldies among us might remember Zed Leplin, Zed, uh, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven in 1971. Um, I've been listening to it this week. Uh, what a tune. Well, here's the original. This is the stairway. It must be where they got their idea. Jacob dreams of this great ladder. Perhaps more accurately, it's a staircase between heaven and earth. And God lets him see, by showing him this picture, he lets him see that there is a spiritual connection between heaven and earth. And the angels, God's servants, are doing his work, going to and fro between the realms, ascending and descending upon it. Now, human beings, of course, often want to try and establish a spiritual connection to God themselves. I can think back to Babel, uh, way back in chapter 11. If you remember, they built this tower to try to reach heaven. Human beings like to try to ascend into heaven to, to get to God by their works. But that will never work. God here is revealing to Jacob that there is already a link, one that he has made, by which he establishes connection with us. In other words, God is relating to God is on his own terms. It's at his initiative through his means. We can't get to him. The Babel project fails. But he can come down to us. Now you'll see there, if you look at verse 13, there's a little footnote um, mentioned there. And that indicates that rather than God appearing above it, that is appearing above the staircase, it can be translated as uh, beside him, beside Jacob. And I think that's probably the better understanding. Um, it's as if what's happened is that God has come down to meet Jacob face to face, one to one. That's certainly how Jacob describes it. If you look on in verse 16, 
Jacob says, the Lord is in this place, in Bethel, in the place on the floor. So it's as if by this connection, God comes down to this place to meet him and speaks to him. And when God speaks, God is really clear with Jacob who he is, isn't he? What does he say? He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He's clear. He's not any of the Canaanite deities. He is the Lord. He's the true creator God. He's the God who has committed to this family by the covenant that he made with Abraham and his offspring way back in chapter 15. But isn't it striking what he does not say? He does not say that he is the God of Jacob. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac, but not yet the God of Jacob. And that's important for us to notice, I think, at this stage in the story. Jacob is not yet a man of faith. He does not yet trust God as his forefathers did. Now, we might have been able to tell that from his selfish cheating and lying behaviour in the previous chapter, but we also know that because of his own testimony. Um, Let me just show you that. Just flick back over the page, one page to chapter 27 and verse 20. Now, this is the incident with the meal and the, and the lies. Um, what he does is he, uh, he foolishly invokes God's name uh, in a lie to his father when he brings him this meal. But look closely at uh, 27 verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, Jacob, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Jacob answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. You see, your God, not our God, not my God, but your God, Isaac. And this indicates that the Lord is not yet Jacob's God. He does not yet have personal faith in the Lord. I'll come back to chapter 28. Here's what this means, I think. Jacob has not sought God at any point, at no point in the story so far. God is graciously seeking him. And he has found him alone and in the dark. He has come down to this wayward sinner so that he might bless him. Now, just to say, take comfort that this is still how God moves today. Many of us long for loved ones to come to know the Lord. But sadly, they show no interest in him at all. And maybe like Jacob, they've moved away from God's covenant people. They've moved away from the church. Well, verse 13 gives great hope for people like that for family members, for children, for grandchildren who do not seek God, who seem to have no interest in him. And I know that for many of us, this is our greatest heartache, isn't it? Behold, the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord. 
This reveals that this God is the kind of God who graciously seeks out and meets with sinners. He meets with those who have no interest in him so that he might save them, so that he might bring them into relationship with him. So let's take comfort from that. Now let's listen to what he says, what he promises this wayward sinner. It's the same promises he made to Abraham and to Isaac, but it does have some more detail, some wonderful detail. Now remember, Jacob has no home, he has no offspring, no children, and he has no relationship with God. But God promises him a place, a people, and his very presence. His presence with him wherever he shall go. Let's look at those three things. First of all, he promises him a place. Verse 14. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. God assures this exile that he is the inheritor of God's promise regarding the land of Canaan. Now remember, he's about to leave it for a couple of decades He's about to disappear from the land. And so this seems really unlikely to be kept at this point. But God is committed to keeping it. When Jacob returns, it shall be his. But notice too that God expands on that promise in verse 14. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Now, God used similar words to make a promise to Abraham in chapter 13. And these are expansive terms, aren't they? Jacob's not given geographical markers like rivers and mountains and valleys or seas to to mark out his territory in that way. He's just given directions. And it at least raises the possibility that, that though Jacob's descendants inherit the immediate location of the land of Canaan... Well, the inheritance that God has planned for them shall in time stretch out from there to encompass the whole earth, east, west, north, south. In short, contained in this promise is what Jesus will say later to his followers, that they shall inherit the earth. So first, it's a promise of place. Second, it's a promise of people. And this one has the least to say on it in chapter 28, but it will be a big theme um, as you go through the book. It's worth us noticing that yet again, as he had with Abraham and Isaac, God promises a guy with no children, with no wife by whom he can have children, not just one child, but children as numerous as the dust of the earth. Uncountable offspring who will spread abroad throughout the nations of the earth. What a promise. That's the second thing. And then the third, I think this is the major uh, new and expanded part of the promises. God promises Jacob his presence. This is verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
God had promised to be with Isaac, Jacob's father, but he promised that only while he remained in the land. But here again, he expands on that, doesn't he? God promises to go with Jacob out of the land and then bring him back into the land. He promises to never leave him until he's brought everything to pass. It's an amazing commitment to this guy who as yet has shown no interest in the Lord. It's gracious, isn't it? It's undeserved kindness. So what do we see here? Well, the God of Abraham and Isaac, he gives Jacob an undeserved promise of a place, a people, and his presence. And is that promise kept? Well, yes, it's kept within Jacob's life, especially the presence part of it. When Jacob returns to the land, he comes back with a wife and with children. And as he returns, this is what he says in chapter 35. He says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, same place, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. God keeps this gracious promise. And then for the first readers of Genesis, they're on the edge of the land as they're trying to go in to conquer it. Well, they hold on to this promise for themselves. In fact, God reiterates it to their leader, Joshua, as they stand on the borders, as they're about to enter with their armies. Joshua 1 verse 6, God says to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So swore to Jacob to give them. And then Joshua 1 verse 9, that wonderful verse that's been printed on tea towels and fridge magnets across the world. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why not? Well, same promise. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That moment in history, God keeps his promise of giving his people a place with his presence with them. But what about us? We're not Jacob. We're not the people of Israel on the borders of Canaan. So how are we to understand these promises and how they apply to us? We're not going to dream this dream. We're not going to have this promise made to us personally in the same way. So how are we to understand it? Well, the short answer is that this dream in Bethel and these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is where we're going to need to turn to John chapter 1. Uh, which was read to us earlier. This is page 887. So keep a hand in, um, in Genesis 28. And if you could flick forwards to page 887, John chapter 1. Now in John chapter 1, Jesus is meeting his, well, who will become his disciples. And he meets a man called Nathanael. And it's interesting what he says about Nathanael in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And that puts it in mind of Jacob straight away, doesn't it? Here's a guy who is one of Jacob's descendants, an Israelite, who's not like Jacob. He's not a deceiver. And indeed, Nathaniel gets it straight away, who's come to meet him. Rabbi, you are the son of God. Nails it. 
You are the king of Israel. Now is it again? Daniel recognises that Jesus is God's Messiah king. So it's already a fascinating encounter, but it's what Jesus says at the end that's really interesting, isn't it? Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's clearly a reference to this incident at Bethel, isn't it? The dream that Jacob had. But what Jesus does is he takes the image of the staircase, the the connection point between heaven and earth, and he says, it's about me. The Son of Man, Jesus himself, is the one who connects heaven and earth. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is the means by which God establishes a connection, a relationship between himself and sinful human beings. John 1 shows us that all the promises of God for Jacob are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He comes down to establish a connection between heaven and earth. You no longer need to travel to a physical location in Israel, to Bethel, to connect with God. You no longer need to be a physical descendant of Jacob to connect with God. If you meet Jesus by faith, you connect with God in the flesh in as real a way as Jacob connected with God at the end of that staircase. The whole Bethel incident is primarily about the way in which God's presence can be connected with a wayward sinner. And here's the answer. As God reaches out to you by grace alone, through his son, Jesus Christ, God on earth. That's the major theme of this whole Bethel incident. It's about God's grace connecting with wayward sinners through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Now before we close, we need to see briefly Jacob's response. So let's turn back to Genesis Uh, Chapter 28, it's page 22 or 23. How does Jacob respond to this astonishing incident? Well, Jacob's response, I think, is encouraging, but not quite there yet. Verse 16 to 22. There are encouragements that Jacob takes a step forwards. His first response, which is the right response on meeting God throughout the Bible, is fear and awe, verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob's experience on meeting God is that of fear and awe. It's very much like uh, John Newton's experience 
which is recounted in his great hymn on grace, Amazing Grace. This is the second verse. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed." When we first meet God, we're confronted with our sin and his holiness, and so we fear him and his judgment, but then our fears are relieved as we realise that he is gracious to forgive us and wants relationship with us. So we're encouraged that Jacob seems to be starting to get it. And there are other encouraging signs too. What he does, he sets up this stone that he'd been lying on as a sort of monument to this encounter, and he sanctifies it by pouring oil on it. It's a sign that he recognises that something holy has happened here. And then the last verse, verse 22, he confesses that everything he has comes from God and he promises to tithe a tenth back to God, which is very Abraham-like behaviour. So we're encouraged by that. He's, he's definitely taken a step forward. He's gone from not thinking about God at all to conscious recognition that the Lord is God and is worthy of honour. But he doesn't seem to go all the way in. He doesn't make an altar here, um, like Abraham would do. He doesn't seem to think that sacrifice is necessary, and that says something about his view of how serious his sin problem is. And we've got some pause too as, uh, as we hear him make his vow, because, well, it seems to be conditional, doesn't it? Verse 20 uh, to 22. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Speaking into the future. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. It's conditional, isn't it? If... If you do this for me, God, well, then you'll be my God. He's not yet fully committed to the Lord. He's not yet put his full faith in God's promises, as Abraham did. He's holding something back. He's waiting for God to prove his faithfulness before he trusts him. Now, we need to watch out for this because... We're going to see this over a period of weeks. It's going to take some time for Jacob uh, to get to that point. He's on a bit of a journey. Literally, he's on a journey, but also spiritually. And it will take another dramatic encounter with God, with the living God, before he comes to fully accept that God will bless him by grace alone. And he puts his full faith in the Lord in the end. But for now, that might leave us just feeling a little bit Disappointed. It's a little bit like the Scotland-France game last night. You think he's about to cross the line, but he doesn't quite make it uh, in the end. It's a bit disappointing. God meets with this guy face to face. He reveals himself to him. He promises him these wonderful things. But Jacob still doesn't quite trust God. And we think, what an idiot. I mean, come on, Jacob. What more do you need to see He's had this amazing encounter with the living God and still doesn't get it. 
But then we think of the disciples in the Gospels too, don't we? And men like Nathaniel, who met the living God in the flesh as they met Jesus Christ. And aren't they like Jacob too? They, they're so slow to believe. And we think, what idiots! But then aren't we the same? So slow, so lacking in faith, so hesitant to place all of our lives in the hands of this awesome God of glory and grace who holds out his blessing to us. Aren't we the same? And so as we close, aren't we grateful for the patience and grace of God? That out of his great love, God is so determined to bless wayward sinners like us, despite ourselves, by grace alone. Aren't we grateful for that? Let me finish with these words from Ephesians chapter 2, which capture, I think, Jacob and us. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we praise you that you are the God who comes down to us, that you reveal yourself to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have established a a connection with humanity through him, that we might know you, that we might have your presence with us, even here today. Our Father, we thank you for your patience with us, as we are so slow to get it, so slow to trust We thank you for your kindness and graciousness in bearing with us. Our Father, we praise you for all that you have taught us of yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen.